You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Start of a new week, Monday, June the 6th, and reflecting on not one but two derbies in a moment, the Prudhoe Jockey Club from Chantilly. But first, let's talk about Desert Crown, the now unbeaten colt by Nathaniel, who won at Epsom on Saturday in fine style to give Sir Michael Stout a sixth victory in the race. And Richard Kingscote on just his second ride in the derby, his most important career victory in the silks of owner Saeed Sahail, who'd won the race with Kriskin, trained by Stout back in 2003. It was a result that so many of the racing public seemed to want, and they got it as well. Was there a hard luck story in the race? Perhaps in the shape of Westover, more of which in a moment. But first of all, David Yates is newsboy from the Daily Mirror, one of your biggest days of the year as a, a racing writer. Dave, uh, did it deliver what you had hoped and expected? I thought it was a fantastic day. It was the it was the result. It was the story I think that everybody wanted. Obviously, as you mentioned, Sir Michael Stout looking for a sixth victory in the Kazoo Sponsor Derby, the first, of course, in 1981 via Shergar, the record 10-length winner. He's now 76. He was seeking to become the oldest person to saddle the winner of what is in the minds of many, including myself, uh, the world's greatest flat race. Um, he was also seeking to become the trainer with the, the, the longest uh, time distance between the first and the last. The previous was 35 years uh, with Matt Dawson, uh, the trainer of the late 19th century. If, the, if there was to be a star in the 2022 running of the race, it surely was going to be Desert Crown, the win at Nottingham. And then, of course, that uh, victory in the Dante Stakes where he still looked rough-hewn and, 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 and short of the finished article. I was watching the race, as usual, at the top of the stand in the old press room. And when Richard Kingscote was looming on the outside, running from the three furlong marker to the two pole, you just thought, surely this, this horse must win this race. He must have put four or five lengths between himself and the field. There'll be those who point to the presence of uh, Hugh Yamal in second, a 150 to one outsider, as some sort of uh, stick with which to beat the form. But I don't go with that. They're all three-year-olds. They're all improving. Yeah, well, we're going to talk to Andrew Balding in a minute, trainer of Hugh Yamal and the fourth place horse, Massa Kayla. And we know how unlucky Westover was not to finish a fair bit closer but I think it's still stretching it to suggest that he would have won the race had he got out under Rob Hornby. Rafe Beckett, the trainer of Westover, incidentally, this morning, saying that he's come out doing so well that it's very likely that he'll head to the Irish Derby, in which he would, of course, have a massive chance. What about um, plans for the winner, Dave? You've been talking to, to Bruce Raymond, racing manager to the owner, and he's enlightened you quite significantly here. Bruce Raymond, I thought, gave some, some really interesting quotes. He said, uh, I said... Does the, the horse, you know, he's just had the three starts, which was obviously um, a, a point that, that Sir Michael Stout made after the race. And so in view of that, he hasn't had much racing. Will he stay on in training at four? And Bruce Raymond said, for sure, something will have to go wrong for Saeed to take the horse out of training. So 
that's to, to start off with. We've got, um, well, uh, Desert Crown races on at four. In, with regard to um, his future ch- targets, in the shorter term, I said Irish Derby, and Bruce Raymond said, well, he's not in the Irish Derby, but at the moment, the, the, the two most obvious places to go would be the King George or the Eclipse. The Eclipse is on July the 2nd, the King George three weeks later. So uh, in terms of trip, he said, I think this horse will get quicker as he progresses. Um, watching the race on Saturday, he didn't look like one of those mile-and-a-half gallopers. I think North Light 2004 would fit into that category, reference point 87, those horses that you couldn't really see uh, going back in trip. Of course, they both did, and they were both beaten at Sandown, one in the Eclipse reference point, and North Light in the following year's Brigadier Gerard Stakes. Um, so Bruce Raymond said, wouldn't be at all... Uh, afraid of coming back to 10 furlongs. He's a horse that's got a, a burst of speed. We saw that on Saturday. That was a, a point that, uh, that the trainer had made at the press conference. So uh, the Coral Eclipse and the King George are the most obvious ones, according to the racing manager of Saeed Sahail. But the interesting one, apart from being uh, kept in training at four, was a focus on the Dubai International Racing Carnival. Um, Saeed Sahail, of course, uh, is always his name is always prefaced by Dubai businessman at Saeed Sahail. And the racing, his racing manager said, yeah, Dubai is very much on the agenda. Didn't at this stage uh, specify a race, but he said, Said comes from Dubai. The money there is very good at the Dubai International Racing Carnival. Uh, so in terms of uh, prize money, yes, he'd like to go. And of course, he's from Dubai. So the, the, the prestige of, of returning there with a derby winner is a very attractive idea to him. He said, it's not my plan and it's not Sir Michael's plan, but it is Said's. So uh, we'll see what happens. And of course, I don't mean this in any way as a footnote, but in between um, the short-term and the long-term targets, in the medium-term, the uh, Prix de Lac de Triomphe at Paris Lange, I think that is on October the 1st this year, is uh, also on his to-do list. So much to chew over from that, uh, that chat with Bruce Raymond yesterday. Well, we've eulogised about the winner. We know how unlucky Westover was not getting his run. We haven't maybe spoken enough about the, the two horses at huge prices, Huyamal and Masakela, who filled first of the two of the first four places home for, for trainer Andrew Balding. Uh, Andrew, I, I know you, you didn't think they were hopeless causes, but to what extent did they exceed your expectations? Well, I, I think, you know, we hoped if everything went right, we could, you know, nick, nick, nick a place with either one of them. But... um to do it with both was obviously beyond our our um, wildest dreams, really, because uh, you, you know they both bought their A game and uh, had a, had a bit of luck, and everything went well. Um, did you think they would finish in that order? Um, no, I, I mean on homework, Mazzucato had been working extremely well, but obviously he'd had the the setback at York, which has sort of slightly altered our plans. Um, but he'd been working extremely well, but there was obviously a stamina doubt with him and. Who Yamala is, is a talented horse, and he's you know he's got the form in the book. And uh, but I just sort of felt having been beaten sort of quite quite comprehensively at Newmarket last time, we had a lot to find with the Godolphin horse for a start, and as well as some of the others. But uh, he he just settled really well, which was the key to him, you know, running such a good race. Okay, so you can sli- slightly think differently about what they might do for the remainder of the season. H- how do you intend to campaign them now? 
Uh, well, the Who emails plans are a little bit up in the air because, as as you are aware, well, with both horses, um, they become sort of fairly valuable commodities for to, for, for for export. So um, we're, we're just going through all our options at the moment and uh, um, assessing, you know, what the most likely scenario is. So it's not impossible that either or both could be off to pastures new. Uh, not not impossible, but we, as I say, it's just always. Um, this sort of straight after the race, we're, we're, we're assessing all our options. Okay, and ask would ask it come too soon for for either or both? Yes, I guess um, it would. I think for Mazakela it probably would. Um, who your male, it's a possibility. But um, we, we, as I say, we, we'll sort of know a bit more in forty hours time. Okay. Um, as far as uh, you're concerned, I don't know how many people have noticed, but it just struck me last night. You've just found yourself topping the trainers' championship again. Yeah, I, I think that's sort of somewhat of a fluke because, um, you know, I don't think we've really sort of hit the consistency we want as as yet this season. Hopefully it's coming. You know, they certainly ran well over the weekend. So um, hopefully we're we're getting there. But um, I, I think, you know, <laughs> in order to take that seriously, you need a sort of Baid or a Desert Crown. And we we haven't, sadly, we haven't got one of those this year. But um, anyway, it's, you know, it's a nice position to be in at this stage and we'll try and you know top five would be great so that's what we're in right well if you flute your way to the top and uh, you've still got all the good stuff to come and royal ascot where you had such an amazing meeting last year then we might still be talking about this in october who knows um who are you most hopeful for for ascot i think alcohol free um would, would obviously have a good chance we run some very nice two-year-olds at ascot so you know we will we'll be doing our best to we, I, I doubt we'll be able to repeat last year's performance but um we'll be doing doing our best to get a couple of winners Okay, and is that, which race is Alcohol Free going to run in? Well, I think probably the Duke of Cambridge, but it's it's yet to be decided. A lot will depend on the weather forecast for the week. That's Andrew Balding there, currently sitting at atop the trainers' table after those two excellent runs from Hu Yamal and Massa Kayla. Uh, let's hope we see them here again, but it's not inconceivable that they could go elsewhere. And we could see Hu Yamal at Asker, Andrew was saying and uh, alcohol-free for the Windsor Forest. What about the man who bought the Derby winner Desert Crown? That's Richard Brown from Blandford Bloodstock. He acquired Desert Crown for 280,000 guineas from Strawberry Field Stud, Gary Robinson's excellent stud just outside Newmarket. And I began by asking Richard what it was he saw in the horse. I think uh, physique was probably the number one uh, attribute he had. He was an absolutely gorgeous horse. Um, and it's easy to say after he's won the derby, but he, he really was a particularly outstanding yearling. And, you know, look, uh, £280,000 for a or guineas for a Nathaniel Colt at the time probably seemed pretty uh, pretty crazy, but he was a beautiful horse. Because although Enable had already come along and she'd been a, a, a sort of world champion, uh, Nathaniel wasn't commercially fashionable. Now, I've said many times that's wrong. He's a terrific sire. He's had Lady Bothorb as well as Enable. Uh, he he stands for relatively little money, but he was a top top quality racehorse, and I wonder if he he more than any other stallion is starting to make us rethink the way we we look at these sales. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'm sort of very sort of dam and physical driven when buying yearlings rather than side driven. And Nathaniel had actually already been very good for us. I worked for 
Andrew Stone of St Albans Bloodstock, and he had um, God Given, who was by Nathaniel, who was a top filly, was Luca Kamani's last Group One winner in Italy, and you know he he's been very good to us, um, and is obviously extremely capable of not only getting a, a, a good one but a really top one, as we saw in Enable. So, yeah, I think. I think we try, you know, often we're not, I know it's easy, it's probably hard to say when you've given 280000 for a year, but a lot of the time we are working for limited budgets and therefore you have to give on something. And I think that probably um, concentrating on uncommercial yet proven stallions is where um, is where we've had quite a lot of success. This was the second the second year I'd been buying for, um, for Sides of Hale and it was always by a nice uh, mile plus um colt or philly um and he's very patient you know it doesn't matter you're not really trying to buy early two-year-olds it's all about buying a nice three-year-old type um it was as i say it was the second year round the first year round i haven't done a particularly good job and there was a little bit of pressure on there's no doubt so um yeah it was great to be able to reward his uh faith by by buying a derby winner and how was saturday for you just just from from the beginning of the day to the end <laughs> uh, surreal is the honest answer. Uh, very surreal. Um, had a had a thoroughly enjoyable day. My wife Sophie was with me. Uh, John O'Mills, who's the managing director of Rabba. I've worked for Rabba since it started in 2006. Bruce Raymond and Philip Robinson, um, who who are the racing managers for Rabba, and we were all together. Obviously, side come over from Dubai, and then you know, obviously with uh, with Sir Michael and. Um, who I've known for a long time since I first came to Newmarket. And, um, you know, to just be a small piece of, of that team is, is, is very, very special. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just a, it was a great day. Uh, it was a great day. We ended up back at Michael's in the evening and, uh, uh had a few jars and it was, yeah, it was great. A, a, a day we'll never forget. Richard Brown, who bought desert crown as a yearling at book two of the Tattersall's yearling sale for 280,000 guineas. Congratulations to him. Our uh, David Yates, we wanted fireworks on the downs on Saturday afternoon. I'm not sure we necessarily wanted them quite so literally. Uh, there's been some consternation at the flares that were sent up just before the running of the derby. What were your thoughts on that? It, as, I, as I said, I, I was watching the race on, on top of the, the, the Queen's, the Queen Elizabeth second stand. And of course, where we were, the bangs were quite loud. The, the horses were half a mile away and I, they doubtless would have heard it and in that respect we know that the, the derby is a test of the three-year-old colt and that includes their ability to run fast their ability to handle a track like no other and also their ability to handle the occasion but i think we can set the the outer parameters of the last uh, of of those elements that the the atmosphere on the day are dealing with a big crowd and you know the the hullabaloo uh, of epsom on derby day i don't think we have to necessarily ask them to um withstand a firework display too I, I, my 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 thoughts on this are uh, along the same lines as uh, adam kirby's i thought it was a um, I thought it was a bad idea, and I'd be surprised if we see it again. But I'm not going. I'm not taking a placard down to Jockey Club HQ at lunchtime today uh, that says 
ban fireworks from the 2023 Kazoo Derby uh, and waving it in the faces of uh, the top brass there. I, I, I thought there was one, uh, you know, I, I don't want to have a go at the trade paper, the Racing Post, but I did think that um, in the story to include the the um, observation of the of the uh, close-up reader that that um, Nahani was was sweating beforehand was a, a very very uh, weak link between cause and effect. You know, Nahani went to went to post quite fiercely and was obviously g'd up by the by the occasion. It wasn't in any way the case that he was as cool as a cucumber. And then the moment that a Catherine wheel went off, he broke out in a sweat. Yeah, and it seems curious to me. I understand why people didn't like the fireworks, but it seems curious to me that it's generated more heat than even that awful incident before the the first race where William Buick was left stranded in the stalls and his Mount Blue Trail was let go by the starter who didn't realise, for whatever reason, that Buick was half hanging over the side of the stalls because he'd been clocked in the head by the horse next door. I mean, that could have been really, really dangerous and only an act of God really prevented either rider or horse or more riders or more horses being very seriously injured. Now, many of you have been in touch to ask me about the split screen that beset Racing TV during the derby. I was presenting for Racing TV on Saturday afternoon, and believe me, there was nobody more frustrated at the fact that the world's most famous horse race had to share the screen with the 437 race from Listowel. And if you were watching Racing TV, you'll have heard me give to you what I received in my ear from the production gallery at Ealing Studios, which was that Listowel Racecourse had agreed to hold their 437 race until 440, so there would not be a clash. Now, I've I've double-checked subsequently that, that this was the case, and I wasn't being given misinformation. And indeed, there is a procedure by which the executive producer and the channel editor go through all the races in England and Ireland and flag up areas for potential clashes and then communicate those for the BHA to the British Horse Racing Authority, asking for a bit more wriggle room, a minute here, a minute there, a couple of minutes here, a couple of minutes there, to try and uh, stop those clashes happening. Then if it's a clash with a race in Ireland, the BHA um, communicate that to the IHRB, the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board, and they then tell the race courses, look, can you push this to whatever time it is? So it was our understanding, or my understanding through um, my producer, that Listowel, in such a process, had agreed to hold until 4.40. So I gave out the information, they're holding till 4.40, even though the derby was seven or eight minutes late, we'd have still got the whole of the derby in, and a replay, and a little bit of analysis, before we would have gone to Listowel for, for the delayed 4.37. And then, lo and behold, Listowel will jump at 4.37, because apparently the message hadn't got... Uh, as far as the starter. It had got to the stewards, but it hadn't got to the starter at Lestole. Uh, Epsom, for what it's worth, were eight minutes late, and it wasn't just because of the protesters, because the protesters were removed from the track. It was more to do with the fact that you've got this amble down to the start. I think there's a little bit of gamesmanship from some of the participants as well. that They insist on walking their horses all the way down to the start, which delays races, particularly over a mile and a half. And on Saturday at Epsom, every race bar one was more than three minutes late because British racecourses seem pathologically incapable of getting races off on time. Still, as a Racing TV subscriber, you can realistically expect to be able to see all your races and not have a split screen. And as I say, there's nobody more frustrated than me or my colleagues that this is happening. So I would suggest, Dave, that there is a a clear 
gap set around these marquee races. Perhaps every Saturday the feature race gets a 15-20 minute window and the, the British and Irish race courses cooperate with that and it would be the same that the British race courses had to do that when you had a race like the Irish Derby or the Irish Grand National or the Irish Champion Stakes. I, 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 it's a no-brainer to me. I understand that they're all clamouring to race on a weekend. It, it makes it the, the schedule congested and sometimes really difficult and unwieldy and unworkable. But I understand the commercial realities of it. What I don't understand is why there can't be a bit more cooperation between the racecourse in England and in Ireland to ensure that this kind of thing doesn't happen and then offer everybody a, a suboptimal viewing experience. As you said, they ambled to the start with no great urgency. And I think that's why the derby was off at 4.38. It's obviously um, disappointing that... Uh, that there was a split screen. It's disappointing in a sense that um, Listowel didn't hold. We we have the, the, sometimes the disconnect between the scheduling of British and Irish racing. Um, I find it, it, it makes me shake my head. Um, you know, surely in the modern age, someone can send an email or or pick up a phone and and we can uh, we can schedule. Uh, the, the the race programs of the two countries so that they don't conflict with each other. There were seven minutes between uh, 4.30 and uh, 4.37, quite obviously. And it's it's really disappointing that our premier race was seen on a split screen on the main channel. And this is a point that must be made that uh, via um, Racing TV Extra, it would be perfectly possible uh, for subscribers to watch Listowel on a single screen and the kazoo derby on a single screen so yes it is disappointing there are there are lots of factors that went into it i, I personally given the circumstances found it disappointing that uh Listowel didn't hold but on uh, on racing tv extra you could have watched both races uh, or the race that you wanted to watch uh, without having the other one share the screen now dave the derby club dinner has come in for significant criticism, or more to the point, the attendees, or some of the attendees at the Derby Club dinner. Now, I've been to the Derby Club dinner a handful of times. I haven't been for four or five years, but I've been in the past. It's been a, a very enjoyable evening on occasions, not always, but on occasions it's been a very enjoyable evening. It's not particularly heavy. It's quite lighthearted. It tends to involve the auctioning off of horses in the derby that have been drawn in a in a raffle and then there's a, a an after dinner speech i got asked to do the speech in 2016 i can honestly say it was uh, pretty terrifying and intimidating but just about managed to uh, emerge unscathed i certainly f fared better than than martin bayfield in 2008 who famously sat down during the middle uh, of his speech because he was getting heckled and uh, probably much less well than sir mark prescott who was very brilliant the year after the year after I did it, but it is an all-male affair and there will be plenty who don't think that any all-male dining affair is appropriate in 2022. It's not an official horse racing um, authority event. It's not a particularly political event. It's not like, say, the gym crack dinner used to be, which was a big political event back in the day uh, and is now opened up to, to all genders. But still, an awful lot of uh, racing administrators and senior figures were there, either as guests or members. And Rachel Hood, who's been a senior figure in the politics of the sport and a senior owner and breeder for, for many years, has called for this event to be either scrapped or opened up and says it's a, a anachronistic in, in this day and age and is presenting the wrong message. How do you see it from your vantage point? This has to be discussed, I think, 
and, and separated into uh, two different issues, Nick. First of all, I would say that f- speaking for myself, and I'm not an, NT, uh, an attendee at the, or haven't been an attendee at the, the, um, the Derby Club dinner, but I would say that any social function is enriched by the attendance of all genders, uh, not merely uh, one. But it's a private event, and if a group of people wish to get together and hold a dinner and they make it an all male or an all female event um that that is essentially their business and i i don't wish to tell uh, private groups of individuals uh, who they must and must not have uh, on their guest list and also one should say that this is an event that isn't held in the name of british racing it's not a it's not an event sanctioned by the, the British Horse Racing Authority. So that's the first part. The second part, however, is the extent to which racing politicians endorse that event and everything that goes with it, being an all-male uh, event, by attending it. You know, if we if we broaden this out into the wider world, the real world, it's often the case that uh, politicians get criticism for their their presence at uh, certain functions and. In in this case, I think that uh, the the Joe Saumarez Smith or whoever it might be from the BHA obviously has to be more careful. I think in the future when it comes to events like this, I, I've no problem uh, with private individuals, as I say, having their own private club and their own private parties in that sense. But of course, I think that in the modern age, I think it's naive of uh, racing's top politicians if they. Uh, attend events like that that they Im- Im- implicitly Im- endorse them and don't expect a measure of criticism in return for for good reason racing is trying to broaden itself out and that diversity is a, a massive issue in racing as it is everywhere in society and so again if uh, on the one hand a racing politician is uh, is is front and centre of a diversity drive and then they're attending all male uh, events to to celebrate the derby obviously you can see where the trouble will start so that was epsom and all the trimmings what about what happened in Chantilly yesterday however because in vadeni you could argue that we saw the most impressive classic winner of the weekend and you can argue still about the relative depth of each field. Vadeni is now 8-1 to one for the Arc de Triomphe, a significantly bigger price than is Desert Crown. I've been speaking to his rider, the veteran jockey Christophe Soumillon, his first win in the Prix de Jockey Club since 2006, and these were his impressions of yesterday's romp in Chantilly. Hi, but listen, uh, yesterday was something uh, amazing. Um, I was thinking running well with him. Uh, his last win... Uh, in the British was really good. Um, in the morning, his track work was just fine, uh, but he never showed us uh, that he was a horse uh, that special. Um, I was very happy and confident with the draw. Um, that was a good uh, and very, very important uh, thing for the, the tactics in the race. Uh, I think the, the pace yesterday was good, um, but uh, all the horses that get a good position from the beginning uh finish one two three um so i think that was uh quite important um but the way he quickened in the in the straight was uh 
really impressive and um, yeah honestly I didn't thought he was uh, able to do something like that before the race uh, would you say that the draw is always that important at Shanti in that race or was it just because of the way the race shaped up with the with the pace yeah it depends uh, the ground and um, the capacity of a horse um, to be um, covered or not um, I've seen some horses like Lope de Vega or or others uh, winning with a bad draw, uh, making the pace uh, and and be quiet in the front and quickened. But uh, I think yesterday uh, William did a great job. Unfortunately, uh, after three or four hundred meters of, of the race, um, Olivier Pellier's horse was quite keen and uh, came a bit early, giving uh, to William a lot of pressure, uh, especially in the last turn. And um, that's probably why his horse couldn't uh, react uh, like he did in Longchamp in the pool, the Cédé Poulain. But uh, yeah, it was a, a nice race with a lot of pace, but I was quite surprised to see that uh, we just staying too deep the whole way and nobody uh, was trying to come back from the the back of the field to, to put some pressure. Um, but for, for us, finally, it was a, a perfect uh, run uh, because I was just... Uh, in a fifth position in second deep and uh, I didn't make too much ground and uh, when I asked him to quicken he, he just react very fast and uh, he, he passed the opponents quite easily. And I, I couldn't believe when I looked it was your first win in the Prix de Jockey Club for for so long. It's your fourth in all, all told. Uh, for, a, for, a, for a French-based rider, uh, just just give me an indication as to whether that race means as much say as the derby means to a to a british or irish based rider i think it's a very important race um if i could win it more than than four times i will do it that's for sure unfortunately uh, i ride few horses that uh, finish placed and then some others um, that run badly uh, that's racing um, but you know like Frankie de Tori took him like 20 some years to win the, the Epsom Derby. So that's, that's, that's racing. You need the horses. You need a bit of luck as well. But for me, uh, the arc is probably the, the most important race that we have, uh, in France and probably in the world. Um, and I think Epsom Derby is probably the biggest and the toughest race to win for, for a French jockey. Um, we love to ride the race. It's a very special race, but uh, I think I just rode four times the Epsom Derby, so that's that means it's not easier <laughs> to, to ride and and to win. It's even even harder. But uh, yeah, for sure, it will be a, a dream for me one day to to win one. Uh, but I know it's something uh, really really hard to to make. More immediately, you could easily win the arc with this horse, with this colt, couldn't you, Vadeni? You, you know what it takes to win that race. Has this horse got the the, the requisite ability has he got the has he got the tools in his armory to be able to win a, an arc mm, that's something I, I'm not really sure at the moment um, I never ride him over a mile and a quarter so I can't say if he's gonna stay a mile and a half um, especially if the ground is very soft um, for me at the moment what he's showing is that uh, he's able to do and follow Almanzo's um, tracks uh, he looks a bit uh, similar um, but you know with the horses you can never pronounce too early uh, there is a 
two or three months uh, going to to go for the Irish champion stakes and I think that's what uh, Jean-Claude will probably do with him uh, and before that probably win, running in uh, in Deauville mm. uh, the Prix Nano. but um, after that we'll see uh, what he will do but um, yeah it will it will be great if he stays mine and half uh, but that's something I, I cannot uh, confirm right now Okay, I, and that's a very interesting what you were saying there. And he's by Churchill as well, a sort of speed influence, but he's, he's out of a mare by Monson from one of his highnesses. Really good families. Uh, just finally, you mentioned Jean-Claude Claude there, Jean-Claude Rouget. There's no, there's no trainer in Europe who's saddled more winners than him. But he, he, he's quite undemonstrative, and I, I never quite know what, what it is that really makes him, makes him tick and what makes him good at his, his job. Can you give me a bit of insight? I think he prepare uh, things very early. Um, he can uh, feel uh, what uh, quality a horse have um, um, long time before the the, the target, and uh, he's able to uh, prepare horse very um, very quietly in the first two runs, and uh, most of the time on the third run, like it was yesterday for Vadeni, the horse uh, is able to arrive. Uh, at 100 or 100 maybe 20 percent um for a race like that um alain de ray dupre was a bit like this but uh the the difference with uh jean-claude Rouget is that uh, most of his horses are, are running at two years old um so he's training them a little bit more more tough at two uh he doesn't want to run them too much uh, most of his horses running two or three times at two and then he gives them a break to trying to to improve um for the the first part of the summer and um yeah i think he he knows now exactly how to do it took a long time to uh to win the french uh uh jockey club uh the french derby with uh le havre and uh Pridian with teslita and i think since that day he, he changed his way to to train and um he wins so many uh, classics now uh, for the three years old in France uh, in the last ten years. Uh, that uh, shows that he, yeah, he, he have the good horses. That's for sure. Uh, he's of one of the most important trainers in Europe to to be able at the the sales to buy a lot of top prizes and good horses. He have a lot of support with good owners, and uh, that was getting better and better the last uh, few years as well. So I think he his confidence. He have a a great team as well and since he's training in Deauville I think uh, he have also uh, a different team and uh, and a better way to prepare horses as well uh, Christophe Sumion there who won his fourth French derby on Vadeni Dave Yates is still with me um, Sumion is always good copy Dave interesting what he was saying about he wasn't convinced about the horses as regards the arc and that the Irish champion stakes would probably tell them a little bit more yeah, I think that that's a, a very good point. Um, just looking at uh, Verdane's pedigree, he's by Churchill and he's out of uh, the Monson mare, uh, Vadarana. Now, um, she's produced horses up to an extended 10 furlongs, but nothing yet at 12. So the way that um, the winner hit the line yesterday, you'd think, oh, well, a mile and a half wouldn't be a problem. But certainly on pedigree, it does raise doubts. He was 
very impressive. Uh, the, the draw, inevitably, uh, Charlie Appleby wouldn't say this publicly, I'm sure, but it must have been something of a, a kick in the teeth that uh, Modern Games was one minute drawn in eight and then in 13 given the tactics that they were going to employ. But the yeah, winner was just for, the, just for those who missed this story, that there was a, there was a Horlicks made of the, of the initial draw where a, a horse who, who wasn't a runner was in the drum and a horse who was a runner wasn't in the drum. So they had to redraw it later in the day at France Gallo. So he, he'd originally been eight and then he got shoved out to 13. There but for the grace of God go all of us who have to conduct draw well, ceremonies. May I say, yes, indeed. It was Lonsdale, uh, Point Lonsdale, wasn't it, who was... Who was who slipped through the net. Uh, and uh, so, yes, it was a bit of a Horlix. May I say that um, it, that was in uh, direct contrast to the, the way that uh, the draw ceremony was conducted for the 2022 uh, Kazoo Derby, which uh, went round on rails and without the, the, the slightest um, suggestion of a hitch. Very polished. Is it a six or a nine? I'm not sure. Anyway, on we go. Vidani is an eight to one shot for the arc. Um, as a result, it was quite interesting, wasn't it? Because after the Oaks, the Kazoo Oaks on Friday, um, Emily Upjohn was was promoted to ARC favouritism, which I think a few people thought might just be jumping the gun uh, a bit. Um, she was usurped by uh, Desert Crown yesterday, uh, on, on Saturday, who is between, I think, two and three to one for Europe's middle distance championship. Vidani is eight to one. As I say, there are those, there are those doubts just hanging over uh, that Colt's ability to stay a mile and a half. But um, for those of us who think that uh, Aidan O'Brien's domination of the Derby in recent years has perhaps made the race slightly less interesting, well, uh, Jean-Claude Rouget has now won four of the last seven runnings of the Prix du Jockey Club. Right, Dave, uh, down to earth with a bump, but hopefully not too much of a bump, as you give us a winner for Monday afternoon. Hopefully not. We're going to... One of my favourite uh, course and distance races, the 8.30 at Pontefract, the, the two miles and one uh, round the West Yorkshire track. And it's to course specialist Flint Hill uh, that we turn. This horse has won twice over course and distance, also has a close second and a fourth to show from four visits uh, to Pontefract off a mark of 71. I think he'll be dangerous today. So it's the 8.30 at Pontefract. Selection is number five, Flint Hill. All right, Dave, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. Be back again to do it all tomorrow. That was Monday, June the 6th. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.